Welcome to another one of our very popular movie rambles. This show features the blockbuster hit movie Top Gun Maverick. Now, we recorded this particular show last summer and we delayed its release until now because we'd a hunch that Maverick would feature quite highly in our year-end podcast. However, not even Jeff and all his horoscopes guessed that it would be the Act the Flicks film of 2022. Having achieved this prized accolade, we thought that this would make a fitting first show for 2023. So get your flight gear on as we move on up the highway to the danger zone and I hand you over to my wingman Jeff, call sign Tofu. Welcome to another Ramblings with Elijah, Graham and Jeff from, of course, at the Flicks. Now, this title of Ramblings was coined by our listeners who say, we start talking confidently on a topic, then veer off course into a maze of others. So, the start point this week, in a shining like maze, is Top Gun Maverick. Elijah, welcome back to the show. Hey, how you guys doing? Very well, thank you. Yep, thank you. Now, now I've got to start with this question. It's no secret that if Graham was in Top Gun, his <laughs> handle would be the Mel. But what would yours be? <laughs> Probably something broadsword or <laughs> broadsword. Oh, yeah. Gladden. All right. So my my handle wouldn't be Braveheart then. No, just the Mel. The Mel. No. Okay. Gib. <laughs> Gib. Right. Okay. No, that's Jeff. deals. Um... <laughs> <laughs> so what do we call you, Jeff? Woke? No, anti woke. Um, no. uh, by anti, I don't mean A U N T I E either. Um, you mean A U N T Y? Yeah, okay. You mean anti woke? <laughs> yes, exactly. We've already started wandering yeah. off the beaten track, haven't we? <laughs> Let's talk Top Gun Maverick. Elijah, I know you've seen it. What size screen did you see it on? I saw it on the LIMAX. The what? Sorry? The what? <laughs> So we we've got you know you've got your IMAX and then yeah. you've got IMAX. Yeah. They're not oh. the same. One's a LIMAX, but we have a LIMAX here. We also have one of the few real IMAX screens like 45 minutes away. At these gas prices, it's too much. But I didn't get to see it in IMAX and it yeah. was just the the visuals on that were stunning. By the way, <laughs> I would swap gas prices with you. Yeah. We're three times as much as you, as you guys are paying. Just wanted to point that out. Not happy. Anyway, moving on. So what do you think of the film? It was just about perfect. Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell. Let me be perfectly blunt. You are not my first choice. You are here at the request of Admiral Kazansky, a.k.a. Iceman. He seems to think that you have something left to offer the Navy. What that is, I can't imagine. all due respect sir i'm not a teacher just want to manage expectations what the hell good morning aviators as a sequel far better than the original yes yes my wife and i went and we uh we rewatched the original before going and seeing it but it gets rid of a lot of the not good cheese of the original and like (laughs) manages to add more notes of like it's it's far more mature because the characters are mature, which again touches into that aspect of it yeah, being a sequel, knowing it's a sequel, knowing exactly who the character of Maverick is. Like he still is Maverick, but he's a more serious Maverick. 
And even though he's willing to take a lot of risks, those risks are in service of something that you realize like he's developed since he was, you know, in the, in the original film. Okay. I think it's certainly a much more mature work, but I'll come to my thoughts in a moment. Graham, what size screen did you see it on? (laughs) You know the answer to this. I saw it on the largest screen in the UK. I was down in London for the weekend and I managed to sneak off in the evening and went to Leicester Square to watch it at the Odeon. And not only the screen, but the sound system. They've uh, the new Dolby Atmos system in there. So when the planes took off... They went right over your head. People in front of me were ducking. You know, it was that good a sound system. And it was a fantastic film. I really enjoyed it. thought it was an old-fashioned action movie in the modern age. Much more well-thought-out plot and a lot more character development. As Elijah was saying, it was just a joy. I came out of the cinema with a stupid big smile on my face. I really enjoyed it. So yeah. you didn't watch it on a on, a, on an iPhone? <laughs> the furthest thing <laughs> from an iPhone I could possibly get, I think. Yeah, it was just great. It was really good. And it's I think it's one of the UK's top cinemas, so big reclining seats, a mm-hmm. real treat. Despite the incredible price I had to pay for that ticket, it was well worth the money. I want to go back to the point you, you, you say about sort of, you know, the, the original and the cheesiness of it. And I think the original film is very much an 80s film. Yeah. It's yeah. loud. It's designed to be seen in the cinema. And there are no subplots. No subplots at all in that film, right? I, just... I don't think there's a plot, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. I, I wouldn't go that far, but yeah. That's it. But, you know, it, or it the is... main The main plot that you follow through most of the story is a subplot and the finale is a subplot <laughs> and the over large plot of it being no plot <laughs> no plot, s- yeah. but action mm. yeah yeah what i like about this one is it understands all of that and then it starts in the same way almost shot for shot it uses kenny Loggins' danger zone has a, a lot of harold faltermeyer's music in it but then slightly goes in different directions and introduces oh, subplots and builds up to this incredible action sequence at the end. So on all levels, it works much more effectively than the original. And I think for me, a lot of the reason for that, and this is what I'm going to throw to you guys, is the director, Joseph Kaczynski, who had previously revamped the awful Tron into Tron Legacy, which is a good yeah. film, has done the same with Top Gun understands the essence of the film but knows how to make it exciting for a modern day audience do you think that's fair oh yeah yeah, definitely i agree completely like even with the original tron he got the they they took i mean it's not just him because uh i was it horowitz and kitsis wrote the script for the for tron but he knew how to take all of the design and the look and the feel that you got from the best parts of the original tron which i mean there's like two and then just crank them up to 11, give you a feeling of like all of these things living and breathing and evolving. And then he brings it the same with this, that same kind of sensibility of filmmaking. Yeah, I I would agree very much. And because he understands the original, it's interesting what type of audience he brings in. Now, when I saw it, I would say the average age in the IMAX cinema I saw it in was around 50, early 50s, as an average age to it. What about yourselves? What was the average age where you saw it? 
I would say probably 40 because there yeah. were a lot of older folks, but a lot of younger folks too. Yeah. And it was a 1245 screening on Monday. Oh, interesting. Dude. And it was about 70, 70% full in the theater. Oh, that's really good for that time. What about yourself, Graham? Oh, yeah. It was my, my cinema was packed. It was a Friday night. Lots of young couples going there, but also lots of more mature people in their 40s and 50s and old guys like me in the 60s. But yeah, it was right across the um, right across the board, and everybody seemed to have a blast. I mean, as we were coming out, everybody was chatting and talking. And some people had brought their teenage kids as well, and they were actually hyped up for it, which surprised me. I thought they wouldn't be that interested, but they really seemed to enjoy it. A great swathe of people and a packed cinema. Yeah, it was great fun to watch. So you didn't come out shouting, "I feel the need, the need for speed." Not as I was going to get on a London tube after. Okay. The- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> At that point, it's just you feel the need, but it's not for speed or anything else. Maybe something akin to runs. Or, um- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good job, Neil's not here. He would probably mistake what I mean by speed. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> oh, so- dear. Rambling. Rambling already. <laughs> um, yeah. And even performances. Obviously, you got Tom Cruise being Tom Cruise, but we'll yeah. come on to the character of Maverick in a minute. You got Val Kilmer coming back, and you got this youngish cast there as well. Anybody stand out for you? Definitely Miles Miles Teller, who's an actor I don't typically like because when I fir- the first several films I watched him in, he always played a jerk. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. That is so, so like true. I just associate that yep. personality yep. with the actor in this. He play like he is Goose's son. I mean, from the look, the mannerisms, like even his his body shape is the exact same as the yeah. guy who plays Goose. Like, yeah. how how do you cast better than that? I, I don't know. Yeah, that when he walked into the casting room, they just must have gone, "Yep, that's him. That's him. That's the guy." Just held up a mustache to him, like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else? Now, for me, Glenn Powell stood out. Hangman? Hangman, yeah. I'm a big fan of Glenn Powell. I really liked him in the TV show Scream Queens a few years ago. But also I thought his performance as... uh, He was in Hidden Figures as... John Glenn. John Glenn, thank you. Uh, I thought his performance in that was really good. So he can play comedy in this. He can play arrogance. He can play the humility of John Glenn. Uh, I think he's a great actor. I think destined for a a great career. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he does next. Uh, I thought uh, the girl was also good. Monica Barbaro, yeah. She was actually good as Phoenix. You know, she gave a, a little bit of a... A slight opposite view from the sort of the t- testosterone fueled best of the best. What can they possibly teach us, crew? Yeah, she reminded me a lot. Like, so we used to uh, draw blood at the army base. Actually, our company still does, but I, I don't go over there anymore. And like a lot of the soldiers and like the, the girls who are officers or whatever in there, like she reminded me a lot of the, that personality type. Yeah. They're really tough. Not like, you know, they don't have the macho of the dudes, yeah. But they have that bravado and that tough personality to to match the guys that they're with. Yeah, I, I read an interview where she said they taught her how to walk. She went and trained with the 
with the Navy and the and the, the women officers said, no, you have to walk with confidence. You're the best person in the room. You're the pe- person giving the orders. You need to be that person. And she said it actually affected her whole demeanor and the way she played the character. She learned that lesson well because she did feel like nobody's going to mess with her, not just because she's a tough woman, but because she had that sort of command approach to everything that she mm-hmm. wanted people to behave like this around her. It was really good. Very confident, yeah. Yeah, she actually got to do the 200 push-ups as well, which was good. Okay. And and other than Tom Cruise, she was the only other person not to throw up when they were filming. <laughs> she had a lot going for her there, so I think that's quite good. Now, he's mentioned army there, and let's talk military. The ending of the film, I was trying to work out what country they were in because, of course, the enemy planes had no insignia on them, as they wouldn't do, obviously. Absolute uh, mystery. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Let's guess. So what's the only country in the world that still flies F-14s? Uh, Iran. What other country is under, like, embargo for building nuclear weapons <laughs> that would yeah, have incentive to create a super yeah. secretive <laughs> bunker to enrich uranium? Yeah. Obviously, it's Zimbabwe. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. I missed that. That's genius. Blimey. They have enough trouble building a bunker. Never mind about what they put in it. Um, <laughs> it doesn't snow much in Zimbabwe. <laughs> Up in the hills it can do, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. It does, yes. It's moments. But um, Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, but those action scenes, that whole last 30 minutes, I'll put my cards on the table. One of the best action sequences I've seen in years in the cinema. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with that. Yeah, the third act was a gem. Like, there are things that you see sometimes in theaters that, like, they almost feel like they impact you physically. Like, um, just like you get in nature. Like, when the first time I saw the Grand Canyon, it was like I felt hollowed out inside, but also filled. Yeah. If that makes any sense. And not that this has the same impact as the Grand Canyon, it doesn't. But the moment where he, he's in the F-14 and they decide to go into dogfight mode. And he pulls back, rails the guy's uh, engines. As it's plummeting down, he evades the other guy's first rocket. By having that rocket hit the, hit the plane he already hit. Yeah, it was great. Oh, my gosh. I wanted to stand up and cheer. It was so good. And again, the director, because you didn't get lost in the action. Oh, that's Cruz's missile, and that's hit the other guy outright. And mm-hmm. I never lost what was happening in, even though these dogfights are happening at high speed and they're bouncing and dodging all of the, you always got that quick shot of the pilot either pressing the chaff to fire out the, against the other guys or launching a missile. That whole action sequence was so well put together. It was just great. Smoke in the air, rooster flares. That was close. <laughs> We're out of flares, Mav! Shit, he's already on us! Ah, this is not good! The amount of thought put into choreographing how all the planes are moving, the terrain they're going through, the shots that you needed to to establish, you know, where the enemy jets are, where, where all this is happening. And even to, like, to show off what these planes can do. Like, the moment the enemy Raptor just kind of, like, almost stops and floats in midair like a leaf as it's flipping around. Yeah. It was so awesome. Yeah. I just think it's faultless. I can't question or say anything more than 
just excellent editing, brilliant direction, very, very well played. And I just want to finish on the character of Maverick himself. And again, what I really liked about it, you know, in the first film, he's this young up-and-comer with the talent, but he'd never had to face anything. Now he's this older guy. He's an individual, almost a dinosaur. Uh, I think Ed Harris yeah. calls him that in the beginning of the film. Oh, and uh, great performance from Ed Harris. God, he's a scary guy. Yeah, for all all two minutes. Yeah, for all two, yeah, but he filled the screen. That's a performance he gave right there. Yeah, mm-hmm. taking on the role that James Tolkien took on in the yes. in the first film. So again, you got that nice callback. But this character of Maverick at this stage now. He's this individualist. He's not a team player. You could see him as a dangerous character in our modern world. Or do you think we need people like that? We need heroes like that. We need characters like that. Or is he dangerous? Elijah, what do you think? Uh, Yes. (laughs) Yes, we do need people like him. And yes, he is dangerous. (laughs) I mean, you you can't have one without the other. I'm not a staunch individualist in, in my philosophy of how humans should live. But when it comes to like how governments should govern, I, I think you know we, you have to have it start with the individual and go up rather than top down, theory at least. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very classic, old school, patriotic American mentality. The individual against the odds. But he also, in this, he is unwilling to allow the people under his charge to go and die. Yeah. He's willing to... His individuality sta- stand up to uh, John Hamm's character and tell him that that's not what they're going to do, or essentially force his hand into stuff so that he can then protect others. So he's he's using his individuality in community, which is a thing that I think is it, it's a great character trait and a, a great callback to where he ends up in the first film. So we don't have any character regression for him. He's not he's not out there for himself even though he's very much an individualist. This is really interesting because I was going to come back with 60 years ago, this would have been a type of film like this would have had John Wayne in it. Yeah. Um, You know, that American individualist character. But everything you're saying just makes me think of a Clint Eastwood film called Firefox. Oh, yeah. Eastwood in that film is a person that questions himself a lot more than, say, Maverick does. You know, Maverick says, if you think you die. Um, which is a bit worrying when you've got that much equipment in front of you, but that's another story. But yeah, the the whole thing and the running joke in Firefox is, of course, Eastwood had to think to to work the missiles, but he had to think in Russian because it's all tuned into his thoughts. So I think there's there's a lot more comparisons here with Firefox than than I was originally thinking. And you make you make a really good argument for that, Elijah. But the other thing that, that appealed to me, obviously, you've got this. He is a maverick, you know that the 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 clue is in the name, and he is a very much an individual. But he builds a team around him, and the, the, they all have to work together. When it comes to the end, Roosters is guy in the chair behind him. He's working all the electronics, and similarly, the girl Phoenix and and her guy working the the laser guiding system as well it, they work as a team together and the, and the two planes work together as a perfect team as well so there is a lot of here's a central character but we can build a team around him and the game of football they play on the beach is the critical moment where they actually all learn to trust one another and i, I thought that scene was mm-hmm. really really good 
like for for a while in that scene, I'm like, what the heck is going on? Who's on offense and who's on defense? <laughs> and that that was very clever, even yeah. for a, a foreign audience like we are going. Well, we don't really know that much about American football, but oh, I get it. It's fighter pilot uh, American football where you can get hit anytime. Yeah, it, it's funny. And also the guys in the chair, the two guys behind them. So you had. Um, Charles Parnell as Ham's aide-de-camp, I presume he was, and the other guy, Bashir Salahuddin, I think his name is, as Cruz's guy in the chair. So they had this sort of support group as well behind them. Yeah, it, it worked on so many levels. As you said at the beginning, you know, the first one had basically a side plot that sort of worked its way through. This one had so many things going on in it. It was just such a joy to watch. Okay, but well, it brought all of those. Like yes. they never took you off focus. No, no, and that's great direction. That is okay. great direction. Yeah. Even the the love story between um, well, Maverick no. and no, uh, no, no, no. character. No, no, sorry. There is a central mystery in this film. When your girlfriend is sassy, funny, smart, drop dead gorgeous, drives a Porsche three five six, has her own racing yacht, and owns a pub, what man on earth would ever leave her? And yet. Tom Cruise left her. What an idiot. She was great. <laughs> I loved her. And I loved when she left the door open. That was just so clever. Again, like it cements that because, you, you know, by the end, he's no longer essentially in the Navy and he embraces that aspect of himself. You know, he's faced death. He got shot down. Yeah. You know, he finally essentially sacrificed himself for Goose. Yeah. And he's he's gone through that that crucible, has come out of death and is now willing to embrace life beyond just being the pilot chasing the next yeah. thrill, which yeah. is what he'd been at. He struggled with, with those two mm-hmm. aspects of, you know, you know, I guess what happened with him and Jennifer Connelly is that he was just never ready to settle down. Yeah. And she had wanted it. So when he settles down at the end, he's finally able to have that relationship with her. Yeah. Okay. And he can get off the bike and into the Porsche, which is great ending. Yeah, well, <laughs> final, word, final word for me then is I did like the American football game on the beach. I didn't understand a lot what was going on, but at least they didn't oil themselves up like they did in the volleyball game in the first film. <laughs> and it wasn't shot in slow motion on, no. entirely. No, showing slow motion. They oiled bodies. No, that's <laughs> right. Okay. They, they were all very fit. So we're all positive on Top Gun Maverick. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Incredible. Now, our ramble continues. Now, earlier today, Graham and I went to see the latest Jurassic Park movie, Dominion. I'm going to ask Graham his thoughts on Are there movie. dinosaurs? There, there are, are dinosaurs. There are a few of them. Oh, yeah. not dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. I was are, worried about that. Are you a fan of the Jurassic Park movies, Elijah? I mean, who doesn't love the Jurassic Park, the original? Lost World is fine. Jurassic Park 3, I probably enjoy it more than the average person. I have memories of my childhood being in a Costco and... Costco always displays the big TVs right when you get in. And my parents would just kind of leave us in front of the TVs and they would go shopping. And it was Jurassic Park 3 for like a month. Every time we would go, it was Jurassic Park 3. Granted, we were only in the States for that time for about, you know, three to four months, something like that. So you watched the whole film waiting for your parents in the shop? Uh, I mean, eventually I did. Okay. Would you watch? So this it was one all then? disjointed. So, like, when we finally watched it as a family, sometime <laughs> later, I was like, "Oh, that's how this scene fits in." Uh, it was Lego. Oh, look, yeah. that fits there. Yeah. <laughs> Would you watch Dominion? Yeah, 
I really liked uh, Jurassic World. As dumb a movie as it is, it was really fun. Jurassic World. Fallen Kingdom. Fallen Kingdom, I didn't like as much. I'd be absolutely on board with you on that one. Uh, I I preferred Fallen Kingdom, but that's a different story. The funny thing about the whole Jurassic World idea is that if, you know, dinosaurs came loose in America, especially, that they wouldn't immediately all be hunted to extinction. And yeah, and I had that thought. Do you know how many rednecks would be renting, (laughs) building their own little helicopters and shooting triceratops with 50 caliber snipers? Yeah, and then they'd land to cut it up, and the raptors would come in from the side. That's the mm-hmm. thing that they, they wouldn't probably figure out. Oh, that's yeah. what the AR-15's for. <laughs> oh, Graham, what did you think of the film? I Spoiler-free, because was... Elijah hasn't seen it. Okay, well, I went in with a lot of... You can spoil it, I don't care. No, I read a lot of negative reviews when I went in, and I thought, oh, this is going to be terrible, and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very, very good. It's a bit stuffed, overstuffed with ideas and too too many subplots, really. But I, it had great callbacks to the earlier films. What's her name? Laura Dern and Sam Neill were brilliant. Yeah, it just, everything just fitted together really well. It was really scary, really exciting, quite uplifting. The young girl who was the pilot, she's a great. I imagine we'll see her in a lot more things. can't remember her name. DeWalt, DeWittled, something or other. She was great. Uh, who's the old professor guy? The chaos theory guy? Uh, Jeff, Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum was great. Humans and dinosaurs are now going to be forced to coexist. These creatures were here before us. And if we're not careful, they're going to be here after. We're going to have to adjust to new threats that we can't imagine. We've entered a new era. Welcome to Jurassic World. Every line he came out with had me in it. In hysterics, he was just this running commentary on mankind and our own inability to grasp complex things, to do the right thing at the right time and how we're all doomed. He was just Cassandra running around in the background going, we're doomed, we're doomed. He was great fun. Does he get to say, and and there it is. (laughs) Yes, he does actually get to say that at one point. Yeah, it was so full of callbacks. There are huge chase scenes. There's one chase scene where uh, three raptors are chasing Chris Pratt on a motorbike, which is brilliant and really well shot on handheld cameras. Really quite exciting, that that whole thing. I look forward to seeing it. Uh, my kids have all watched the Jurassic Park films. Oh, right. Okay. They'll, they'll love this then. They'll, they'll probably yeah. be hiding, watching it from behind the sofa, though. Yeah, <laughs> there is one particularly nasty moment towards the end. Uh, but what's clever about it is they bring together the whole five films. Yes. So anything you thought hadn't been resolved in those five films or things that have been left, it's all brought together. The most bizarre thing for me is the main villain of the piece, and you know who that it is quite early on, oh, yeah. is, is based clearly on Bill Gates. Do you <laughs> think so? I, I think, think it's Bill Gates. 
I thought he was based from the white hair and the little Great idea for a villain. I'm okay with that. The little glasses. I thought he was more Tim Cook from Apple, but that's just me. But I did like the fact that the mad scientist wasn't crazy enough. You had to have an evil corporate CEO behind him, so he's even more evil. So there's obviously a pecking order now in villainy. You can't just be a mad scientist anymore. You have to be a corporate villain. Now, you know on our podcast we tend not to swear or we bleep swear words out. So I'm just setting the scene for our final and our big question, really, to to end the show. Oh, God, Uh, no. Elijah, are you sitting comfortably? Here it comes. Uh, Are you you as excited as us for the TV series Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power? Oh, Lord. So I spent the last, like, week and a half, ever since, like, the Empire covers started coming out, obsessively trying to find out more information and good... Lord in heaven. <laughs> like, I, I I want more than anything else to be excited for something coming out about Tolkien's Middle Earth. Yeah. Because I love that world with every fiber in my being. Ever since I saw, ever since I got a Frodo toy in my um, Burger King Happy Meal, essentially. Not <laughs> it wasn't Happy Meal, Kids Meal. <laughs> and my dad was like, hey, let's watch the, the animated Hobbit. I've been in love with what Tolkien wrote and I watched the movies before I got uh, my hands on the books. But from like watching that, I started devouring everything fantasy that I could to the point that my parents freaked out and banned me from reading fantasy for like a year and a half. They actually would not let me read all three Lord of the Rings books like back to back. I had to take breaks, (laughs) which is hard to do when you finish a book in a day as a, you know, a 14 year old. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. I mean, they did the same with me in Chronicles of Narnia, but yeah, I mean, I've got not all of Tolkien's books, but I've got a, a large chunk. I've got my little Tolkien shrine. I even have the Bible that he helped translate the Book of Jonah for. That was a gift from a good friend of mine. Uh, so, yeah, I've been immersed in this for a long time. I'm okay with making changes with what ad- adaptations have to do in order to tell their story. But I'm of the mind that if you have to change something, you need to change it to tell the exact same story. Yeah. Like that change can't detract from it. And yeah. it can't significantly change parts of it. The, so there should be no hobbits in the second age, period. Yeah. They say Harfoots. I mean, Harfoots are just the first things that the men called hobbits. Yeah. And then when they found Fallowhide in stores, they're like, oh, yeah, they're hobbits too. And so they're all lumped in one group. And then when they finally all got to the Shire, they intermixed. They you know, all had kids together. So you had that kind of um, three different like ethnic groups of hobbits. I But I was just reading in Tolkien's letters this morning, actually where he points out like he wants to go and do a deep dive into the into the myths that he alluded to and then put into the uh, the appendices of um, of Return of the King but that it won't have like most of the characters that you're familiar with from Lord of the Rings and there won't there were no hobbits he spelled it out there are no hobbits in this period and they've got these this uh, what are they calling them like proto hobbits or something oh. they're harfoots oh, so it's just yeah the right. three yeah. the three yeah. breeds of hobbits were harfoots fallahides and stores Harfoots were the were really numerous, darker skinned, mm-hmm. browner skinned. Um, however, you want to interpret interpret that. Then you had the Fallahides who were lighter of skin and have hair, and then the Stewers. That's what Gollum essentially came from. Yeah, and they're like really short, and they like the swamps. Yeah, it doesn't really give them any you know physical hair or skin characteristics like he does Fallahides and and Harfoots. But like they they're saying, oh, we're we're the Harfoots. Like they're they are. Described as being darker skinned or brown skinned or however you again, however you want to interpret that. 
but they've got some some black actors playing harvests, and they have hyper white people, my white, <laughs> with ginger hair. Well, no. Yeah, I'm like, okay, <laughs> I understand they did that in in the first Lord of the Rings films. We're doing it, you know. If you're saying you're doing it because they're described that way, then cast like you could have had an entire group of hobbits, all dark skinned, yeah, all played by minority actors. But when you throw in a bunch of random white people in a thing that's supposed to be darker skinned, then like, what what are you doing with the <laughs> that that idea of that? Are they in the transitional phase where they were mixing together? I don't know. Yeah. No. Okay, no. They don't make sure they get to the Shire, and the Shire doesn't show up until about 1200 in the Third Age. Yes. We don't want J.K. Rowling coming after us. Careful with that <laughs> word transitional, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she'll turn one of her, other, one of her characters can, gay again. Can I just say that <laughs> J.K. Rowling is the survivor of severe domestic abuse, and she wants safe places for women, and that's where she's coming from. You need to understand where she's coming from. People just go, oh, she's anti-trans. No, she's got her own mm-hmm. backstory, and it affects her outlook on the world. And that's, well, yeah. I mean, there's also there's a lot of women who've gone come in from violence that are yeah. in situations where if look, I, I'm has nothing to do with actual trans people, but there yeah. are people who will take advantage. We'll get uh, so cancelled for this anyway. Yeah. Yeah, but no. I know I, I know I started it, but I just, you know, I see, I mean, the problem I find is that I don't have any problem with trans people. They're just so loud at the minute. They're destroying their own argument by being so loud. To right. go back to the, the rings of power, like all of them, the marketing just seems poor. Like they don't know who they're marketing to. Like, because if they're marketing to hardcore fans, they're missing the mark. Oh, if yeah. they're marketing to casual fans who are big fans, like you know, they maybe have read the books, uh, but definitely they've watched the the uh, Peter Jackson films. They're also missing the mark because they made everything so different from that, like short haired elves, yeah, and and all this stuff that people are looking at like, oh, that's not what elves look like. Yes, because people have a yeah have a very clear view now based on <laughs> Peter Jackson's work, um, and so the the yeah. marketing department is just. A mess, and I, I know we touched on this last with the last episode because it's again, like I said, then it's one of the worst marketing schemes I've ever seen. I mean, I will watch at least the first couple episodes when it comes out. I will see what they're doing. I will try to understand, you know, how they're telling this story. Right now, as it stands, I don't have a lot of hope that they can tell the story that Tolkien wrote of the Second Age, and there's not a whole lot of it. But what there is there requires some things that they're changing. I'm holding on to a, a little sliver that, you know, maybe it's just something that I can't conjure up myself that makes sense, but that they did. And that when I see it, it'll, you know, it, it'll be great. Hopefully that that's, that's my. Yeah. That's that, you're, I'm exactly with you on that. I, I should be watching it with worry, a constant worry. After Top Gun Maverick, Tom Cruise is the same height to play one of those little um, what do you call them? Hobbits. Hobbits, thank you. Yeah. Actually, you might be a little short. No. <laughs> yeah. <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> uh, hello. Uh, yes, I've got Mr. Cruz's we'll lawyers. <laughs> I've got Mr. Cruz's lawyers on line one. They'd like to talk to you. Yeah. Yes. You know, so, and, um, since nice we last guy. talked, there's a there's a series of like children's fantasy books that I had read, or I read the first book of back at my old one of my old jobs. And uh 
it's it's this really kind of uplifting but dark tale of a family you know the mom grandma grandfather and then three kids in a dangerous world where people are chasing after them and it has all these great themes very much like uh chronicles of narnia it's written by a christian author but there's no there's no overt like religious elements in it because it's not set in our world but there there's a group that's making an animated series out of it and they did a 15 minute short film as kind of like a proof of concept or a pilot and the animation looks stunning the the way that they're scripting it seems to be amazing and i'm more excited for that than i am for the rings of power what's wow. it called it's called the wing feather saga okay that's one to watch out for the episode should be free from what i understand excellent well we'll in the next rambling episode we'll give an update on that so we started strong with top gun maverick we went down a rabbit hole that perhaps we shouldn't have touched and as we get closer to september when this thing drops around the world i'm sure we'll have more words to say if the first episode after that elijah explodes when he's on his mic then we know that series didn't work out well after all but at least we've ended on a on a bit of a positive note thank you very much for that ramble i quite enjoyed myself there thank you very much elijah yeah (laughs) thank you cheers cheers then bye